Outside of a dog, the book is about a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, you have to have a very large dog because you need to fit in the shelves and, and the book lights and the books and the table. We're looking at like Clifford the Big Red Dog here, basically. Mm. That sort of a thing. Lockjaw, maybe. Maybe Lockjaw. I need a comfy chair. You're listening to Brave New Words. Uh, Starburst Magazine's premier book show. Uh, and also the the world's most interesting and fascinating and fantastic book show because no one's challenged us on that yet, so why not? Um, TM. TM, in fact. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Mikey Still. I'm Del. And I'm Anne. So on today's show, if you want to find out more about You Are the Hero... Uh, the fighting fantasy book turn to page 138 if you'd rather script straight to the author interview turn to page 400 <laughs> but before we do all of that let's have a jingle this, this is Fabrian International you really surprised me these jingles they're always quite jingly yeah that was that was incredibly jingly very jingle yeah much jingle mm. wow <laughs> <laughs> In case you haven't worked it out by now after listening to the show, we have no idea what the jingle is when we record these shows. They've dubbed it later. The magic, the magic is gone. Next you'll be telling me. Next you'll be telling me that we don't actually know who the lovely author is. Oh, we know who the lovely author is. They're lovely. We wouldn't lie to you. Uh, the thing is, is that we, we do this on the live show as well. So if you catch us at things like Sledge Lit or at World Cons or Nine Worlds or these, these sort of events that we do. Uh, we'll be around in March for the SimCity Starburst Media City thing. If you catch us on one of those, we do all of this anyway. So we'll have a whole load of guests who look really confused when they go, here's a jingle, and they're like, and they wait and listen to the jingle, <laughs> and there's no jingle. Um, <laughs> we did have one person sing randomly just in the audience. <laughs> anyway. It looks especially um, confusing when they wonder who the lovely author is as well. But... <laughs> Especially because sometimes it is them. Yes. Let's talk to the person there. So anyway, um, should we explain what fighting fantasy is in case people haven't, what didn't survive the eighties? Yeah. Okay. Well, in eighty one, uh, Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston, uh, who had founded Games Workshop by that point, had been asked, I think, to write a book about role playing games, and had decided let's do it in the form of let's let the reader find out for themselves by let's giving them a bunch of choices let's never get you know, give let the book do all the work of games mastering and adventure and they could roll dice and along the way and they quite like the idea of having written this book uh, and it got published and it was popular so they wrote a lot more of them what? and 30 something years on i have a history of the here so the the warlock on firetop mountain why is the mountain called firetop mountain because it's got red bead on it. It's not because it's a volcano. You oh, always right. say it's a volcano. It's not a volcano. It's got red bead on it. I've learned something. That's Ooh. good. I never supposed to learn something here. No. <laughs> so so you, you've got a book. I have. I have a number of books. Because uh, a few years back, the, the 30th anniversary happened, obviously 30 years after the first book came out. They tend to. They tend to, yeah. yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they don't like being contrary about this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and they'd, a Kickstarter adventure had been 
set up with we are going to try and make a documentary we're going to interview the relevant people and it didn't get back for it didn't reach its goal for various reasons but about two years later um, one of the fighting fantasy authors John Green Jonathan Green uh, decided well I'm going to write about it rather than produce a documentary of it and that got funded and that was You Are The Hero which came out three years ago shall we just before anyone starts Jonathan Green Jonathan Green the British yes author who lives in London who writes fighting fantasy novels and steampunk novels yep not John Green the guy who wrote The Fault in Our Stars mm. yes okay entirely separate people yep mm. apologies um, you, you don't get to roll dice in The Fault in Our Stars you really should to be <laughs> um, anyway moving on yes so You Are the Hero is a history of game fighting fantasy game books which came out in 2014 and there was a launch party called Fighting Fantasy Fest where where they managed to get together a bunch of Steve Jackson, Ian Livingston, a bunch of the other authors and artists and a couple of the people who were involved in the publishing and they had a whole day of uh, adventuring and stuff. And then not long after that, some of the authors and artists who, Steve, who Jonathan Green had had difficulty getting into contact with finally responded to their email and said, oh, by the way, hi. And he said, right, oh, great, I've got more people I can interview. So I'm holding volume two in my hand, which is just which has just been posted to me, uh, again, via another Kickstarter. Uh, and the first chapter is about Fighting Fantasy Fest 2014. According to Twitter, Jonathan Green has recently started a file called You Are the Hero Part 3, which I imagine covers Fighting Fantasy Fest 2, which happened in September 2017. But whether there's more stuff to come after that, I don't you know. Starburst has covered Fighting Fantasy Fest 2. I didn't go. I, I was busy doing other things because uh, there's only one of me and no one's given me enough money to clone myself. And frankly, that'd be a terrible idea. But we did send uh, a rather lovely chap to go and take a look um, at Fighting Fantasy Fest 2. So, what is the. So, what does Fighting Fantasy. Uh, sorry, what does You Are the Hero do? The first. One is, they're, they're both a history of game books. They both discuss uh, how the first game book, the fight, first Fighting Fantasy game book came about and how the series progressed. Um, so chapter by chapter, there is a history of, I think, essentially how Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson founded Games Workshop, how they got into publishing um, books, how they got other people to um, into books. Uh, how they and then they've gone into okay well and now there are maps and there's a massive amount of artwork and here are the what sign yes because I was at the first fighting fantasy fest and I got lots of people to sign it snow it's it's by Snowbook so an excellent publisher I, I really like them as a publisher they've got very good taste in in people to publish he said very carefully <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think I think all of the books in this series are Snowbooks. So yeah, so there are the chapters devoted to the are uh, chapters devoted to uh, the apps that have been released on iPhone and Android. Uh, chap, there's um, on the the You Are the Hero two part two includes uh, sculpt talking to the sculptors of the miniatures that have been released as tie-ins. There've been discussions of uh, this is great radio. I'm, I, I, to think I'm of looking them. at the map of Titan. Okay. Uh, which is yes. the world that they're all, that all most yeah. of these books are set in. Yeah. Except the ones there's that cartography, are, there's 
you know, there's ones that are set in space, and there's ones that are set in superhero worlds and this sort of thing, and post-apocalyptic wastelands. But mostly they're set in a place called called the Old World. I think it's Atlantia. Titan. Titan. Okay. We call them Titan, and Atlantia is the main continent. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's I recall. And I think the 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 gist of it was, I think Atlantia is where Ian Livingston set his books. But if the, if other writers, including the other Steve Jackson. Uh, were to write a book set in one of these worlds, they would pick somewhere else in the world that wasn't Atlantia to set their particular bit in. So there was uh, to to flesh out the world, but without stepping on others' toes. Where Steve Jackson thought, you know what, I'm going to write one this in this one. You're a superhero, um, or this one's a bit more of a or Starship Traveler. Well, you know, you are on a spaceship. Because confusingly, there's two Steve Jacksons. Yes, there's the British Steve Jackson who founded Games Workshop. And there's the American Steve Jackson, who best known for Munchkin and other games like that. Who founded Steve Jackson Games? Yes. Um, so, so he did. So they they both did stuff. But Steve Jackson also did the Sorcery series, which is not set. The British, yeah, the British Steve Jackson did the wrote the Sorcery series, which is a series of four ongoing books. You are, you, you can play each of them standalone, but you can also take the character that you finished book one with and start playing book two with them. I absolutely didn't do that. What I did was I, <laughs> I transferred my character from the first one to the second one to the because I got into it through um the Hills, which is the sorcery book. Yeah. So I played those one and then thought, Well, no, hang on, I'm gonna keep my character. Um, so when I played Fighting Fantasy books, when I played War and Fight Up Mountain eventually, I had like a character who'd like been through three or four books. And it didn't doesn't actually change the game that much. Hmm. I mean, technically, it's cheating, mm-hmm. um, but it's but but it's not because all it is is you've got this thing that does this thing. You may have a healing potion or two, but by the end of like certain adventures, like you've got nothing or permanent injury. So there's like my 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 poor. I've got him somewhere, uh, and he didn't really have a name because you are the hero. Yes, the hero so, doesn't so have a name, you, you, or for the most part, a gender. Yeah, well, actually, anyway. Yeah. Because there's very rarely any gender-based encounters. There, there is a note in the start, the start of You Are the Hero Part Two, where, for the sake of Jonathan Green's sanity, he has referred to the the character of the books as male. But I don't know why he's not gone for singular they. But hmm. but yeah, he, because he be, most of the people who read these were boys. But that's beside the point. You could easily have been a woman who was reading these books because. They didn't specify. It's interesting because mm. there, there weren't many that were specifically marketed because there were spin-offs, and there were other people who had a go at this. As yeah. Well. So there was like a bunch of Greek adventures that came out. Mm-hmm. I have um, most of a collection of Nintendo adventure books, so I have ones where you are, you play Mario or Luigi. There was a role-playing game one called Maelstrom that I had, which was set in uh, 14th century Europe and had nothing to do with Samurai badges. Um, that's an obscure that doesn't to, yeah. make any sense to anybody apart from you yes yes okay and sadly uh, me and sadly you <laughs> uh, there, there's a UK game called Maelstrom which is not the fighting fantasy book but yeah the, I don't seem to recall there being I mean please go on Twitter at Radio mm-hmm. Bookworm if you can go oh no no you've totally missed you know this 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 book this book series but I think they were mostly written for the male great gaze. I've just turned on the page with uh, a photo shoot for Death Trap Dungeon, the video game. Yes, and that's definitely the male gaze because she's wearing. That's Kelly Brook. Oh right, okay. She she's wearing rubber or possibly leather. It's very shiny, mm. and, and the pink breasts are involved. Um, but at its height, it had like a, there was a there was a, uh, a 
thing you could dial fist that's what it was called fist you could dial fist and and uh, it was a, Della's looking a, bemused possibly slightly scared I just I don't I've not known what you guys are talking about for a long time it's fine I don't think that handing me the book is going to educate me in the next five seconds <laughs> fist was a thing that you could it was a, a, a like a because it was the 80s and like you know, computers dialing modems and things weren't really a massive thing. They were yeah. around, but they weren't a huge thing. So you could phone up and you'd be like, and you're on your rotary telephone. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, like you have encountered it. Oh, oh yes. Dial one to run away. Mm-hmm. Dial two to punch it. Mm-hmm. Two. You have punched it. It punches you back. Two. You punch it. It punches you back. Two. Do you realise your parents are paying for this? You punch <laughs> it. it <punches> <laughs> I have to admit, I've played a lot of the fight, fighting fantasy books, and as of yet, I have never played one without cheating. Uh, just, it's, it's well known <clears> that the five fingered bookmark. As yeah, well. exactly. I just uh, if you win the encounter, yes, I win that encounter next. Because um, you don't have to bother rolling dice, which I, I prefer is it, I, it, it takes you out of the narrative anyway. I didn't. I just oh, mm. I just see this is it because I started with Shimonti Hills and I followed the rules, but the the dice are in the pages. They've got like two dice in the corner of the pages so you can yeah. flip the, the oh, pages right. my sister once got really annoyed with me because she was like why are you ruining that book and also you're playing that book wrong because everyone else I've seen has dice on them and I'm like could, could, hang on this, yeah. this is the same problem mm-hmm. I, I got flip books oh, but the thing for, is, for the sake of confusion they printed a fighting fantasy book with little dice at the bottom right yeah, you could, page, like and basically middle. if you wanted to make roll, make a random dice roll you would flick through the book stop at a random point and you go oh look double six and you know, mm-hmm. die or whatever it was. Uh, page 172, I believe, on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Folded that one over at the corner a bit, did you? <laughs> but this is it, because you know, you, you. But that's the thing with the uh, the app. Uh, Tin Man Games did an app mm-hmm. for it. Uh, I love the fact that you could you press the button to roll the dice, yes. and obviously it was a computer generated dice roll. It mm-hmm. did all the work for you. But if you put your finger down as the dice were rolling, you could nudge the dice over. You can do that in the Warlock of Firetop Mountain computer game, where you just keep pushing them until they get onto the road. <laughs> so I liked the, the computer game because I could also cheat in that. That was that was nice. But they the had the in the the app versions of these books, um, they have a version which is the, the the normal mode, where it's like yeah, ignore the rules pretty mm-hmm. much. Infinite gold, infinite health. Yeah, it puts it back into the story really. But, um, and then in the hard mode is where you follow the rules strictly and have to you can't bookmark and you have to walk back uh, and that's hard mode not rather than the way the game is supposed to be played it is hard no? okay. they recently released because uh, the Final Fantasy franchise has been busy this year yeah so it's now 35 years old I think this year mm-hmm. and they've brought uh, Ian, Ian Livingston has brought out another uh, book in the series, the Port of Peril, which, again, for the sake of clarity, because Puffin, who brought out the original book, brought out fifty-nine of these books, and there've been other ones since. But because uh, the publishers of the various, the, the people who relicensed it and brought out the books again, have basically started with number one, the Warlock of Iron Mountain, brought out a bunch of other books, completely renumbered the system. Whenever they've done this, I think twice now, they, for the sake of these books, they've said right. Assume that Puffin had published all of these originally. Let's give them, keep them with the original numbers. Therefore, Port of Peril is number sixty-six. Uh, Scholastic now hold the, the license. Okay. If memory serves, so they're now under the Scholastic license, which memory serves means 
that they'll be promoted in schools. Because when I was a kid, mm. um, it's kind of the thing with fighting fantasy books is I had one or two school teachers who were like, "Oh, these are fantasy. I don't like fantasy. I don't like," and you know they'd be idiots about it. Um, but the, the decent English teachers would be like, "They're reading. We don't care." Yeah. You know they they they. And there's read- there's achievements based on this because you get to the end of a section and you've and then you get to make a choice and you've 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 made you you've got to the end of a you don't need to read the entire chapter you've read enough of a narrative unit that you're, you're still keeping with it so it keeps people motivated if they're still if they're struggling to read you know big patches of text this is a lot more manageable it's compressed yeah and there's also a lot of fantasy on the curriculum so i don't know what they're being so funny about well this is back in the 80s no but my education was the 90s it wasn't that far removed and like year five our book options each class granted we didn't get to pick but like each class was assigned different books and ours was a mixture of um stick of the dump or the hobbit so not exactly like standard fiction like it's it's genre fiction most shakespeare is genre really like all the ones that we did at school were anyway we did like Midsummer's Night's Dream and yeah. those ones like Tempest and stuff like the ones that were kind of magic based. If you've been into um, a W. H. Smith's or a Waterstones recently, these they are put in the you know the section aimed at you know eight to eleven year olds sort of thing. So uh, and they've brought out six. They've re they've re released five books along with the new one, Port of Peril. So Warlock of Pound Mountain and Forest of Doom and I can't remember the other titles. But they brought out six ones. They are bringing a second batch out sometime in the not too distant future. Are they going to bring out Black Sand, Dungeoneer, Out of the Pit, and Titan? Which I really, don't know. These were these were because <laughs> <laughs> they weren't adventure books. Because the thing, no. I, I remember as a kid. So I, I started. I was like eleven, and I started reading. And I'd already read the Narnia books, mm-hmm. and I was reading Alan Garner. And then, oh, is it Elador? Weird Stone of Brazing was my first. But Alan Garner. It, uh, it's Elador, yeah. It's Elador, that's it. I was just like, Ecuador, yeah. Oh, I read that when I was younger. I loved that book. Uh, and uh, the Chronicles of Pride Inn, which I didn't realise was Wales. Because, um, you know, the Geordie boy. But we went to. Uh, the Puffin did a. Because uh, it was Puffin originally, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah. Puffin did a uh, Puffin train. And they used to do puffin train things where they'd have a huge train filled with books and authors. What? And you'd, you'd go on the train and you could talk to various people. So I probably met Ian Livingston or Steve Jackson when I was quite small, but I had no idea who he was. He was just some bloke. Uh, because you don't really have that appreciation when you're a kid. You're just like, hello! Yeah. And then a lot of people. Um, I'm a lovely author. <laughs> are you? That's lovely, yes. Um, <laughs> And at the end, I got to pick stuff. So I, I was like, well, I want to start at one, but I don't like the look of the warlock on Firetop Mountain because he's a bit scary. Is there another one? And I ended up reading the sorcery books. Um, and that kind of got me into that. I was already into fantasy, but that got me into fantasy games. Yeah, okay. Rather than being a kid who was into games and having fun who got into books, I kind of went the other way. So I think. I've always been into fantasy, but I think when I was a child, I didn't know that. I just thought I was into... I liked stories, and I liked poems, and it's just when you look back now, it just happens that the things that I enjoyed were fantasy, but I didn't 
think along those lines. I was just like, I like this story. I like this story more than that story. Couldn't have told you why. One of the realizations I had going back to, because as I say, there was a recently there was a uh, an audio drama. They've started doing the people who used to do stuff for Big Finish and Games Workshop. Um, I can't remember the a small production house essentially who used to do work for both uh, Big Finish and Games Workshop. I've started doing fighting fantasy. Um. And what they've done, I was listening to it recently, and it was kind of, it was really interesting in the sense that, this is where I turn it on and it suddenly goes pow at me, yeah. uh, and yells at me or something, because it's an audio drama, it'll probably want to be all terribly dramatic. But yes, yeah, so they were called Fox Jason, that's who they are. I was, I was listening to the Fox Jason production, and my first thought was, this is really fighting fantasy. You know, the elf is called Foxy Talonbane or something. Silver's, you know, Elfie Silverbrook or something. And he's near, you know, and combined with human, human, Brad Knifefinger. And that's like the kind of names they have. Elfie Silverbrook. And, uh, or, you know, you know, Foxwood Silverbane or that sort of name. And those are very fighting fantasy names. And it was a very fighting fantasy story. I was having a ripping time reading. It's called Hero's Quest. I was having a ripping time listening to it. And, you know, they go on the fighting fantasy. And Zagor, in the first book, is all like, you have to make a choice, because I like it when you make a choice. It makes me happy. Uh, Toby Longworth, who's a voice actor of much renown, essentially chewing the scenery. However, in the back of my brain, I was like, this is crap. <laughs> this is actually it's bollocks you know it's like the dwarf is very dwarfy the elf is very uh, elfy the, the barbarian is from Yorkshire and you've got the whole thing going on uh, more more Sean Bean's act no the, the, the dwarf is from Yorkshire yeah, dwarfs are from the, Yorkshire the barbarian is from from South London that's mm-hmm. right and you know, you've got this whole vibe going on and it's like I'm having great fun this it's even got the bit in Wallet and Firetop Mountain where you open the box and you go, Oh, it could be a trap, and there's a mouse inside. And the mouse is like, Hello, I'm a mouse, and it goes off and it helps you later. Uh, and it's you know, they had all those bits in it, but it's actually not very good as a, mm. as, a, as a as a as writing and as storytelling, it's very basic, but as immersion, it's amazing. Because you are the hero, and it's that weird thing. Because like the thing that will always sell me is immersion, and I've never you rarely see immersion. Uh, you rarely get a lot of immersion if it's bad writing. You very rarely get immersion if it's very tropey and cliched. But with fighting fantasy, because it does like goes come aboard or cliche train. <laughs> all the all the elves are, are noble and good and slightly haughty. All the barbarians are slightly cockney and angry. All the dwarves would rather have a cup of tea but we don't care let's fight an evil wizard and many of the stories are the same Citadel of Chaos you go up a, a tower and you kill a wizard Warlock of Firetop Mountain you go up a mountain and you kill a wizard um, Black Sand uh, I can't the one set in Black Sand you go into a city and you go down a tunnel and you kill a wizard it's like there's a lot of wizard killing going on here what, what did a wizard do to he Ian did. and Steve he did it, then ran away. That's what that's what he did. Because he's getting a lot of stuff out here. I mean, obviously, there's a big hatred of wizards in these uh, in these fighting fantasy books. It's just uh, 
I think we need to sit him down and tell him not all magic users are bad. The entire point of the sorcery series, where you play a wizard, is to go across the land, to go up a tower, and kill a wizard. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of wizard punting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not always. Sometimes mm. you know you're, you're stopping, you know, you're stealing stuff from the death trap dungeon, mm. or you're you're stopping the rilling river. Or, you know, in one notable case, there's a, you, you're not killing a wizard, you're killing a lizard, which is a good variation. Yes. Nice. Um, Just sometimes having a drink with Elfie Silverbrook. Uh-huh. Elfie Silverbrook. <laughs> but yeah, there's very, there, there isn't a, a packing fantasy book where you just go to the pub. Do you, t- do you have another pint? Turn to page 23. <laughs> do you decide to go home early? Turn to page 200. Well, not where you just, but, you know, but there are plenty of scenes in the fighting fantasy books where you are in a pub and you need to buy a drink for such and such to try and get information off a person. You try and, yeah, you try and you decide, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to befriend the barman or I'm going to befriend that weird bloke and the mysterious stranger in the corner who clearly has a quest for me or you know, such and such. There, there's, there are parts, you, you, there, you know, there are um, mm-hmm. oppo- plenty of opportunities for pubs in, in these books. You see, I don't LARP anymore. I don't go to live-action fantasy events anymore. But if I had lots of money and I could be bothered, I would I would have my own tavern built so I could dress as a wizard and just send people on quests. They'd have nothing to do with the game. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes! <laughs> it would be one of those moments where you see people wandering around and be like, stop it, he doesn't work here! <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you don't need to buy yourself or set yourself up a tavern. Just go to a local pub. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that moment from this, uh, the Order of the Stick origin uh, book where Roy is desperate for adventurers to join his group so he can go on a quest and meets Elan the bard who says, no, if you want to do this, you do this properly here's a beard, here's the table in the corner of the pub, you do it like this you sit down for five minutes and Roy's going that can't possibly work and suddenly there's a queue of adventurers lining up for him to audition There is a I would say it's an apocryphal tale but unfortunately, I actually know the person who that this happened to. Um, where there's a bunch of pagans who right. are doing their nature worship, and they're they're, they're getting on with their nature worship. And it's a very serious kind of you know tree tree worshiping ritual, getting on with it, and they're doing their thing, and you know serious religious moment. And unfortunately, it's a public land, and a bunch of late night larpers turn up. <laughs> and they've got their they've got their rubber swords drawn, and they've got their their their, their bows. Luckily, one of them is one of the, the the pagans is also a larper and just goes stop <laughs> adventurers you have gone the wrong way <laughs> your quest is that way <laughs> and just redirects them in an entirely different direction later when the, the pagans are like you know load, loading their, their, their land rovers with their, their pagany stuff they, they see two guys with radios and high vis tabloids going we've lost our players we <laughs> <laughs> don't know where they are <laughs> <laughs> It's apparently true. So. As a footnote to, from, from something from earlier, FIST stands for Fantasy Interactive Scenarios by Telephone. Right. <laughs> so that might that might be a note which that would have been helpful about twenty minutes ago. FIST. Yeah. It's just a wonderful. There thing. are also notes from here from, about the podcasts that have sprung up, uh, online magazines. There's Fighting Fantasine. Uh, people who collect all the stuff. Uh, other appearances that it, the stuff's made because there's been a. It appeared on a question in Only Connect one time, so Jonathan Green's managed to write an entire paragraph about that bit and a picture of it. That's all right. Yeah. Well, it's part of, I mean, it's part of the pop culture, but it's also part of the British pop culture. I mean, previously, on when this show was the, the book, book around, 
um, we did do a thing called Destiny Quest, which was a modern take, mm-hmm. and it felt a bit PlayStation because mm. what they did it was a thicker book, and it's the Destiny Quest books are divided into lumps, and you have a map, and you pick your adventure. So you get to it, like the book takes you to a, a map page, and then it goes. There are several quests, and then you go on a mini quest. Yeah, and then you come back, come back to the map, and then pick the next one in. So in order, and there's colours. You you shouldn't pick a red quest until you've done two greens. Something like that. And it feels a bit. It feels a bit PlayStationy. It feels less of a story, more of a game. But I like the the way they cheated that. If you died, you got to go back because you were a necromancer. So it's like yes. you, you you play a necromancer. It's like you have died. Fortunately, you're undead, so that's fine. Mm. And and the first one, you're not a necromancer, and like you just keep dying. It says somehow you return back to the land. And then, like the big reveal, it's not a big reveal because it's in the blurb. Where it's like the big, <laughs> <laughs> the big reveal is like you're in fact undead. Surprise! It's like yeah, no, it's called the necromancer's the birth of the necromancer. I got that in the, <laughs> the blurb, uh, or or what have you. But um, it's a cool birth. It's Destiny Quest. Mm. Anyway, it's quite fun. Um, but yeah, it's it's very much a, a cultural phenomenon. But uh, you, dear listener, by the way, you are the hero. Um, but yeah, um, we can talk about another book if we're running out of steam, which I think we might well, be. Well, these two books are quite lovely hardback, which I don't know, make good for a coffee table. There are. Uh, we also have. I don't know if I agree. I think the artwork's a bit. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I, was, I think the, it's a product of its time, but I think. If you're going to make a book that's telling the visual story of something you've created, or the one I looked at, Faulkner, get some reworks done. So r- someone, rather than show illustrations of the books as they came out over the last 30 years? You can do that, fine, but I think there's certain bits that are supposed to be these standout blow-away pieces, and they were just... that. To be honest, the one that Mikey's looking at now looks better. Now this, is the, but, uh, this is the second, this is part two. But yeah, I just think... If you look at something and the visuals look dated, use it to tell the story, but then get some people in to do something modern as well. That's an interesting point, actually, because if you look at the old... So you look at the old uh, Games Workshop books mm-hmm. from the 80s, and a lot of the illustrations are a bit naff, and there's some stuff that is amazing. And you can tell that this stuff is amazing because they show it again and again and again <laughs> yes. in everything that you can find. So the cover of Dragonfalls, for example... I've seen about eight times in eight different books, um, but the rest of them are a little bit kind of, you know, not amazing, but they'll do for the, the for the audience and for the budget that they had. Um, and now it's a lot better because yeah. they, you know, because computers exist. And I've been to um, conventions where artists will sit and they'll draw you an amazing book cover digitally on Photoshop as part of a as part of a, a like an entertainment you turn up and like there's an artist and he's drawing a space marine or a dragon or what have you and it looks cracking and it's because what the artist has done is he's already drawn most of the elements mm. and he saved it on photoshop as he's done it and now he's putting it together for to de- to demonstrate his art and to also you know practice and to do various bits and pieces and the technology is so different now yeah um and it's and let's be honest, the fighting fantasy books were done on a budget 
you don't expect Chris Foss style art <laughs> yeah. um, and you're you know there's a Starship Traveller where they have an attempt at Chris Foss style art it doesn't quite work but it does for the book it's fine for what it is mm. and th- there is that moment where you're reading uh, House of House of Hell is a, a one way you it's a hammer horror okay like a fantasy book so it's not set in a fantasy land it's hammer horror your car breaks down there's a spooky house um, and they, they try and murder you off the bat you're like do you, do you have a phone yes yeah, stand here the master will see you soon okay but they attacks you with a knife okay and then like <laughs> oh, you know you're like right okay I know what I'm doing straight in straight in sort of thing and the illustrations are black and white illustrations of ghouls ghasts uh, a guy being hung and a few other really kind of whoa and when you're 11 and mm. someone passes you house of hell well hell's a rude word so you're like house of hell okay and you start reading house of hell and then you turn the page and there's an enormous skelly walk trying to you know trying to beat you up then you know you're getting attacked by skeletons and and these sort of monsters then yeah uh, but yeah if you sit there with a critical eye you're like maybe not I was looking for something to to argue um, you against with the types of art here, but I've just flipped to a page which is a man water skiing on two saber-toothed tigers. Whoa, which hang is on. excellent. That's fantastic content. Yeah, that's so, a man water skiing on two, and he looks a bit like um, uh, games designer and um, well-regarded um, uh, academic Ian Stewart. A little bit, yeah. Uh, that's the daggers of darkness, apparently. Because I think, like nowadays, <laughs> there's, as you said, there's a lot of skill and there's a lot of computer programs that people can do things quickly if they need to. But also, there will be a lot of very talented people who exist with feelings of love and nostalgia towards these games. If you ask them, would do you a reimagining of images that you have? Um, and I think to an extent that in itself would be quite interesting what would this artwork look like if it was designed now mm-hmm. um, well, that's a reworking of Zegar on the, the pages uh, yeah. the Necromancer which is, again has been helped by the fact that there's been app re-releases of these books so, they've, mm. uh, so some of the some of the, uh, the Tin Man Games versions of the books have taken the original black and white art and they've coloured it in and have oh, yeah, cool. and sometimes have you know, re, redone it as you, as you suggested the books, these books have also gone into um, the soundtracks and the composers. So there is uh, somewhere in those books lyrics to quite a few of these tunes. I mean, granted, I know I'm coming at this from a very different direction to you guys, and I'm not saying that the game is enough. I know nothing about the game. My thoughts just are: if you're going to create a book that is a visual history of something you've created, think about the pictures. Mm. Can't really see what you're showing me. Yet. Sorry, I've got <laughs> so, glasses on. That's sort of my example of a picture that is quite good, but I've seen that about uh, I've seen that in about twenty different things. Yeah. Because that's a that's the that's the old painting of the the ranks and rows and rows and rows of orcs and goblins. It is quite good, but, but at the same time, I would argue it's clearly not designed for A4, so it's quite blurry. Yes. <laughs> it's a nice picture. That's been printed it's, uh, in almost a, a, a terrible quality version of itself. It was originally designed for a box of uh, toy soldiers. Mm. 
Uh, and it's just, it's a shame, really. But especially part of me thinks that you wouldn't have to redo this, but there's software that you can use to make this suitable for this size. Because that's a shame. It's like you said, it's not actually a bad image. But if they don't have the original image because it's been, because it was sold and it was scanned and now the, now the original is gone, then you have that kind of archiving challenges. It's one of the problems that 2008 have had for years. A rebellion who won mm. is a lot of the original art is gone. Yeah. So and you can't just rescan the compressed down image that they put in the comics because they look fine in the comics, but as soon as you change the scale, it looks funny. Yeah. Yeah. So you either have to painstakingly retrace everything, which is slow and expensive, or you have to hunt down the original sources. Most or find an interesting way to show it in its original size. You can still show it in its original size and it show how nice the image is and take up an A4 page. That's why Rebellion did... Uh, there's a lot of early Judge Dredd stuff that's in paperback format. Okay. And the reason it's in paperback format is because the original format was full scrap. Right. Uh, which is sort of A4. Um, and they were like, we can compress this down and it looks fine. So we can reprint it. Yeah. But if we put it into slightly larger A4 thing, we're going to have to rework it. And they have, I think they've reworked all of it now. Right. Like they've gone through it carefully digitally and they've spent years literally re remastering it all. So it looks great. But yeah, there's, mm. there's a whole archiving thing. And Jonathan Green, bless him, will be one guy with limited resources. Yeah. Mm. But still... The, as a as a key to nostalgia, the key to memory, all the images still work. Mm. Um, oh yeah, I'm not. It's yeah, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying that I think there have been some poor visual decisions. Fighting Fantasy is also responsible for why I think that all manticores should have beards. Mm. Like, like I can't I can't picture a manticore without a beard because of the thing fancy books okay I, I was imagining there's going to be more of an explanation than that but no, it's just, just <laughs> the front cover of Shamanti Hills has yes. a manticore with a beard on yep and it, and it's always like you know in the same way that a sphinx always has a bob haircut um because of the various images that were first yeah, then, to the concept of a, a sphinx a sphinx would look wrong if it didn't have yellow and blue striped hair yes Interesting point. Uh, you've got another book by Jonathan Green. I do, um, because I'm black, that kind of person. So this is The Wicked Wizard of Oz, because Jonathan Green likes to dabble into other literary works and take them apart and turn them into interactive fiction. And because the copyright is easily available? <laughs> I would imagine so. So in, in I'm not sure, at the time of recording, the, uh, he's going to be launching a Kickstarter for uh, Neverland. So the next one's going to involve pirates. But didn't he do a horror Alice one as well? He's, there is one Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland as well, which if I thought to bring it with me, I would definitely hand it to Dell and said, "This is sounds like your kind of thing." Yeah, have a look. Yeah, <laughs> there is there is artwork of the characters you can play in the the Wicked Wizard of Oz. The book itself is lovely. It's giant, purple. Big and purple. It's a green. big purple hardback with so shiny green. The Wicked Wizard of Oz is a choose your own adventure book based on. The Wizard of Oz. And being Jonathan Green, he's gone into the steampunk world of it because the Tin Man is a war droid. Yes. 
the Dorothy Gale is Slayer of Witches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Lion th- is King of Beasts. She has yep. Agility 9, Combat 8. I'm sure this was not in the Frank Osborne. <laughs> Endurance 20, special abilities include Over the Rainbow and the Pen is Mightier. Well, the thing, yeah, the other two characters, I'm not sure. I don't think the Scarecrow is the Grim Reaper. I'm not sure that right. quite works. He's, and he's got a, a scythe. He has got a scythe, yeah. yeah. And uh, you can also play as the wizard himself. Who's the Technomancer. Yeah. So I, I will pass this artwork is... to Dell as well, because I don't know whether... This Given this is stuff that's been commissioned more recently, this is what possibly you could get up to. I don't know whether Dell's got her own opinion on it. Yeah, no, I think that... Yeah, actually, the Scarecrow looks great. Mm-hmm. I think to be, I wouldn't have gone with a reimagining of the Grim Reaper because I think you need to play on where these characters originally came from. So for me, like this idea of Lion King of Beasts, but he, the Lion needed courage. Um, potentially, yeah, there's that juxtaposition there. But I think if I was thinking of something for the Scarecrow, I'd have thought of something along the lines of needing to find a brain. Um the Tin Man has skin. Oh, that sounds scary, actually. No, not like skin stretched over a robot. I think right. he's just a man that likes tech. Oh, I see. So he's a well, that's not a tin oh, man. The that's the wizard. The Tin Man's over there. He looks like a. I wasn't actually looking at it properly. Oh dear. The Tin Man looks like an ABC warrior from the. Um, um, yes. From the comic book ABC Warriors. Well, no, no, from the film Judge Dredd, sadly, but yeah. the original Sylvester Stallone one. Okay, right, I approve of the wizard now that he's not. <laughs> and now I've actually, you know, read the things. Um, no, yeah, I think visually it looks really cool, but they... How does it play? Uh, so this is where I, you know, own up. I haven't actually played it yet. But the idea for some of these characters is that as you play through it, each of them has their own starting point in the book. So you, so they've all got their own stories. The books, The stories will intersect and... You know, you'll continue to. I, I don't know exactly how it plays. I'm, I'm presuming. I, see, I assume. I assume at this point the characters are established. Dorothy is, you know, slayer of witches rather than she's just. You know, this is a retelling of the original book. Uh, I see. Mike's point about the Tin Woodsman being a wardroid because he does look a little bit like Hammerstein from the ABC Warriors and mm-hmm. the team of Rogers and Hammerstein. There's some cute uh, little like cross-hatched, um, just line drawings. In the books, is what in the book, which is really cool. There's not loads of them, just like every now and then, just a little thing. But I, because I think I really like crosshatch. I think it's a really cool art skill that I don't have. Um, but I think if you've got a book and it's black and white, simple line drawings are a brilliant way of making something look not simple. Um, there's a really odd phenomenon that I've noticed with reimaginings of the Wizard of Oz, where when they have an older version of Dorothy Gale, and I've seen this two or three times now, they make her a lady who likes ladies. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm down. I'm down with that. It's not, you know, I've no problems with that. And it's like the first time I saw that, I was like, oh no, that's cool. And the second time I saw that, I thought. Okay, no, that's cool. The third time I was like, is this a trope? Did mm-hmm. I have yeah, what, what's, what feels like it's lending it yeah, to yeah. that? Is there, is, is there something that I've missed? Or is it that yeah. just people like, you know, over the rainbow and that sort, sort of pre-association leads to that as an idea? But um, 
Yeah, I think she's definitely in Supernatural. Definitely in, I think, um, Once Upon a Time. So Once Upon a Time, yeah. Um, she's a big character point in Once Upon a Time. And I think some of the comic book takes on it as well. Mm. Um, I have to. I can't remember if she is in Every Heart, Heart is a Doorway. I think she might be. Um, there's been a few, because there's a few versions of um, Dorothy Gale. Dorothy Gale in, in a sanitarium, poster adventures. Because that's, that's obviously a grimdark fun thing to do. Return to Oz is a really interesting film. Like I used mm-hmm. to watch it a lot when I was little, even though it scared me senseless. And yeah. I felt like it would scare me each time I watched it for different reasons. So like when I was really little, I did not like the wheelers. And because I was really little, that still kind of carries on a bit. They still freak me out. But then as I got a bit older, I was just like, oh, like... It wasn't the fact that the witch wants to cut her head off. It's the fact that the witch had a room just full of heads. Just heads. That's That was actually really horrible. But when I was really little, I didn't really think about that. I was just like, oh yeah, she changes her head. So she has a room full of heads. It's like a wardrobe. That makes sense. I was fascinated with that movie as a kid for a number of reasons. I, I'd gotten, as a gift, I think, the uh, making of. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, TikTok was on Blue Peter. TikTok is a great contraption. I really liked that rethinking. But the the actor, yeah, was the uh, was was on Blue Peter. He was one. Of, he was a Blue Peter presenter. Oh, I thought you meant they just took TikTok onto Blue Peter one day. No, they took TikTok oh. onto Blue Peter. But the actor, he was a short lived guy because he was ill essentially. Oh, okay. So so he left early because he was he was unwell. Well, I think he didn't. He had had a short life. Uh, unfortunately, but the uh, if memory serves, that actor was like that actor was on on the show, and also I found um, Fraser Balk fascinating. She's very strikingly visual, mm. uh, and those combinations of things like fascinated me with the Frank Oz books for a while. But I also got the feeling with them that they weren't written for me. That's mm. the chat, Michael Sundon. Well, when I watched it, because I hadn't seen it for years and years, and it was on because I know it's on regularly but it was on a few maybe three four years ago at a time when I could actually watch it and yeah I hadn't watched it since I would say I was what I would term like a child or like a teenager and watching it as an adult I was terrified for completely different reasons and it wasn't the Oz stuff it was the bit set in the real world and the idea that of like they were considering putting a little girl through electroconvulsive therapy it's is horrible. Yeah, I mean the the parallels between the real world and all, yeah. and you think, okay, is is she dreaming? Because she is she inspired by such and such a thing in the real world? Is that what's created the Oz world, or is Oz like that? And it's just a lot of parallels. Yeah. So you've got all the the wheelers are based on gurneys in the hospital. Yes. And you've got room thirty six is actually where the therapy contains. So that's also the cabinet where mm-hmm. her head is going to be put. It's it's yes. absolutely like because. The idea of it is horrible enough, and then the setting of where they were taking her, and like you said, the room where it, where it's gonna happen, and but even like when she's like running away, it's like it's actually. I just want to point out horrible. When I said when I was talking about the author, I meant L. Frank Baum. Yeah, Baum. Yeah. L. Frank Baum, yeah. not Frank Oz. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're oh, <laughs> Do you know what one of my favourite pieces of trivia from the Wizard of Oz film is? 
they um the guy who played like the professor when he's going around mm -hmm. they brought him in a rack of coats that they've got from a thrift store and were like pick your coat and he picked one and he was like oh no like he wouldn't wear this it's too it's too nice and he was like i want a coat that looks like it was a nice coat that has just been worn so much that it's become tatty um so something that had the idea that it was good but through necessity has become old and he fact like basically was going through and he was like oh it's this one it's got to be this one so they took all the others away and um that's the coat he wore for filming and then during filming um one day he just put his hand in his pocket and he clearly never put his hand in his pocket before and he pulled out a dry cleaning receipt and the coat belonged to frank Baum. Wow. So they phoned, because Frank, Frank Baum by this point had already passed away when they were making the Wizard of Oz films, but they phoned his wife, and his wife came to set and was like, yeah, that's, that's my late husband's coat. So when they finished filming, they gave it to a museum. That's amazing. Yeah, that's... so that's incredibly just mind-terrifying. That, that movie's filled with weird coincidences. So mm. much weird means. stuff. Very strange... And also a lot of stuff that's total nonsense and an awful lot of urban myths like surrounding it where people are like, oh, this horrible thing happens. Like, no, look, look, if it sounds like it's come out of a fairy tale, it probably has. Mm. Oh, look, no, that's nonsense. But we'll uh, we'll not dive into that because that's a bit, no. bit grim. Um, but um, yes, uh, there's there's also you keep we always forget that there were an awful lot of Wizard of Oz books. Yeah. And to me, it always felt like, you know, it felt like just as a kid, it felt too much almost that there were so many. But there's, you know, now it seems ridiculous now that we live in an age of long going, ongoing series that go on forever and ever and ever. But is it me or did they get darker as they went along? Like as he got older? Mm. I don't know them that well, if I'm honest. Mm. They weren't popular when I was. Little. No, I know the movies, I don't know the books as well. Before we uh, head on the Yellow Brick Road, shall we go and talk to a lovely author? Yeah, a lovely author. Let's have a, have a bit of a chat. Fondly, welcome to Brave New Words. Thank you. So, tell us about your new book. So, my new book is called Jade City, and it came out uh, just last week, and uh, it is what I call the Godfather with magic and kung fu. It's an Asian gangster saga that is set in a um, fantasy metropolis in which there is magic jade that uh, endows the warriors who wear it with superhuman abilities. And there's political intrigue and family drama and kind of a epic scope of modernity and tradition on this island where only where jade is found in only that one place. How would you pitch the book to an elderly relative? Hmm. I would pitch it as if you if you like uh, if you like mafia films or Hong Kong crime drama or family sagas about tradition and legacy, um, this might be for you. How does it compare to your other works? No, it's quite different. I have two other young adult science fiction novels, and this was a departure for me because it was much larger and more ambitious, and it was my first foray into uh, adult epic fantasy. 
but I think the voice that I have across the books is similar. I, I think anyone who's reading them will realize that it's me writing both books, but it's definitely a, a departure in the sense that I'm moving across genre and across age category. Of all the characters in, in this novel, uh, which of the characters would you most like to take out for lunch? Oh, boy. Huh. I would really like to take out the antagonist, the villain uh, of my novel, because she doesn't get a ton of screen time, if you will, or page time in the book. But I think she's a fascinating character, and hopefully readers are really interested in her based on what they what they read. Um, and so I, I think she's she's got these motivations that are honestly quite um, reasonable and noble, and I'd love to hear her talk about them over lunch sometime. Which scenes were the most fun to write? Well, for me, the funnest scenes to write are the fight scenes and the action scenes, because I'm a... Um, a martial artist, and I've been training for a long time, uh, and I use Jade City largely as a vehicle for wish fulfillment, because so many of the martial arts scenes in my favorite kung fu films involved characters flying, or punching through brick walls, or running up walls, and uh, I kind of uh, endowed that sensibility into the book, um, and so I got to combine my background as a martial artist and my love of those action sequences. So those scenes were a lot of fun to write. How does writing about martial arts, being a martial artist, how does how does it compare from the, the fantasy to the reality? Does reality actually get in the way sometimes? Well, I try to keep uh, my fantasy as grounded as possible. So um, I love fantasy that feels like it could happen. Um, in the sense that uh, I tend to write things in which um, the fantasy and the the technology, in the case when I'm writing science fiction, feel like they're really embedded in the society. And there's a lot of familiar cues. Um, in the case of Jade City, it takes place in sort of an analog, even though it's secondary world, it takes place in what is recognizable latter 20th century um, for us. And so there's cars and televisions and um, airplanes and so on. And so the magic just ends up being sort of infused in there. And then when it comes to the martial arts, um, I just sort of layered it in. So I, I, I try to make it, in my mind, as um, organic to the scene as possible. So it didn't feel like, oh, now we're doing the magic part. Um, there are schools that teach these magic disciplines um, and the, they are very much, the culture is very much built around this magic jade and so I hope that even though there's magic in those fight scenes that it feels like something that you might imagine um, on happening on a street somewhere um, and I, I, like, I like that sense that sort of those gritty fight scenes if you will um, rather than, let's say, Marvel or DC superhero type fight scenes. Why the move from um, science fiction to fantasy? So I feel uh, very much um, a, a desire to write in both fields. And this book started off um, as 
an idea that I had while I was writing some of my science fiction novels, and I really wrote them concurrently. And um, I think for me, both technology and fantasy are a vehicle through which we can um, create these fantastical worlds that are very much um, reflections of our own in some way. And whether you're using tech or you're using magic to highlight certain elements of that world, it doesn't really matter so much um, as what your what the vision that you have and what you're trying to accomplish. And I think you can do that with tech or you can do that with magic, but they really are kind of two sides of the same coin. If you got to write in someone else's world, what would what world would you pick? Oh my goodness. Let me think about that. That is that is quite a question. If I got to write in someone else's world. I would love to write in the Blade Runner world. Um, I I really love um, I love Blade Runner because uh, it's it's the type of science fiction that really draws me in the sense that um, it's it's really um, very visually rich and there's so many wonderful world building details and there's this dark urban cityscape and it makes really smart social observations and commentary and it has all these moral conundrums in it um, so that, that sort of science fiction world and those sorts of, of speculative worlds really draw me Is the world of genre fiction as, as progressive and as open as it thinks it is? Hmm. In some ways yes and in some ways no um, I think that it has certainly become a lot more open and progressive to different voices. I can certainly feel the change in terms of um, appetite for and interest in uh, a variety of different stories, a variety of different voices. We are no longer um, in a situation where epic fantasy is synonymous with medieval Europe. Um, there is just this wonderful breadth of fiction and storytelling out there. At the same time, uh, you know, I think we are, there are still places where we're a little bit stuck and narrow-minded, and there's certainly still a, a um, you know, certain accepted ways of doing things and norms that, that haven't quite shifted over, over the several decades. So I think we're very much a culture in transition, um, no surprise, given given our broader society. What's next for you? I will be busy writing the second book in the Greenbone Saga for quite some time. Um, so that book and the one to follow it will be uh, will be my main projects. If you got to ask, if you got to meet the sixteen-year-old version of yourself and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? It would be keep writing uh, and don't go into corporate finance. It's not going to be as fun as you think it is. And really, you are going to end up being a writer like you always wanted to be. Um, and you can do it. You can absolutely do it. Don't, uh, don't sell yourself short. If you got to rescue one piece of art, uh, music, writing, song, anything, and have that survive until the sun died out, what would it be? That is hard. I, I mean, there's so, <laughs> there's so much um, that I, that I 
would uh, that I'd want to save. Um, I really, I really don't know. I mean, um, I love the film The Godfather, and that's one of the reasons why um, I I wrote this series was kind of as an homage, if you will, uh, to 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 um, mafia films that I really enjoyed. Um, so I guess I would I would probably have to save the reel of that of that film. And but that's a hard that's a hard choice. Oh, it's it's a fiend of a question. Uh, uh, sorry about that. Um, some silly questions just to finish off, if you don't mind. Um, yes. Spaceships or dragons? Spaceships. Um, Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Macbeth or Othello? Macbeth. Doctor Who or Doctor No? Doctor Who. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth. Fonda Lee, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ed. They were lovely. They, they were. were. They were lovely. So, um, let's all head across the, the... Well, it's not so much a yellow bit of the road, because I think it's been... Is it just painted? That's lazy, surely. A lazy brick road. Lazy brick road. <laughs> Another lazy brick road. Oh no, we're asleep. <laughs> well, it's not like it's going. In. It's not getting getting up and moving because that would be even scary. Yeah, if the road just moved, but every that, so often. What you mean, like an escalator? Yeah, I was about to say. Well, no, no, no. Like it just you know moved and said, no, I don't fancy going towards. It. I'm going to redirect you towards you know over there. If you would like to take the the moving road, turn to page 127. <laughs> If you would rather walk, turn to page 200. But, yes. You know, we've gotten through a show about fighting fantasy without me talking about Gonchongs or their proboscis. Well, I'm glad we you know, oh, got that out of the way. So I'm going to go and sever a Gonchong's proboscis uh, before it causes me to take over the world. And um, you can always catch us on at Radio Bookworm. Uh, on Twitter, you can also find us on Facebook, and you can get in touch with me at ed.fortune at starburstmagazine.com. But put Brave New Words in the subject line so I have an idea what you're talking about. And um, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye.